0: And looks like the counter's moving. So we'll get this going in three, two, and one. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading. I'm joined as ever by the. Enigmatic, Ooh. I think, is the word. Kelsey's eyes. I like Yeah, that. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying scary. to vary the intro. I got, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe anyone thinks I know that word. I think, I think they can feel me looking it up in the thesaurus if I'm, as I'm saying it out loud. So, According anyway, to uh,
1: Merriam-Webster. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
0: My. My my, uh, my my dumb brain just locking up as I try to do an intro to this silly podcast. <laughs> well, before. I like it, I've but never it's not a it enigmatic podcast.
1: before, so I'm gonna add that well, to my LinkedIn profile. Several syllable. And w- hope people there you um, go. You know re- what is it called when they like check like refer you for something?
0: Yeah, yeah. they they refer they they do little yeah, endorsements, endorsements and they say like very enigmatic yes. or whatever <laughs> the thing is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I I uh, uh, I'm being silly, but we do have a a, a big time serious guest. We have uh, the CEO uh, of Optiva, uh, the OSS BSS uh, company. Uh, please welcome uh, and say hello to Danielle Royston.
1: Hello,
2: Hi, Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hi, guys. Super fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. Uh, thanks for agreeing to do this. Thanks for being here. I know you have a company to run, so we'll uh, we'll try to get right into it. Um, uh, Kelsey, you want to lead off with questions? Sure.
1: So Danielle, we know that you joined Optiva as CEO at a, kind of a difficult time for the company. What were some of the challenges you faced in trying to right the ship?
2: Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um joining at a tough time i think would be a, a massive understatement so <laughs> so a lot of people don't know i mean i don't know if they've made this connection but optiva used to be known as redney right redney's been around for mm-hmm. um, you know a long time 15 20 years and when i joined the company about 3 years ago the company was on the verge of bankruptcy so we were in real trouble um, Our revenue was declining about 20% a year uh, we were super unprofitable, and it wasn't just like a you know a quarter here and there, but it's mm-hmm. sort of been like you know eight quarters in a row of unprofitability at least. And then the other problem we had is um, we didn't have enough cash to write the ship as as you mentioned, Kelsey. So it was a real mess, and that's what I do. I'm a turnaround CEO. I come into to messes and and clean them up. and so so when I joined Redney, it was sort of you know let's get our bearings and see what we can do. Um, I think one of the great things about the company was the set of customers that we had and the relationships that we had. Um, now, our customers, in terms of their deployments and their projects, we had a lot of trouble spots, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and that's sort of the classic enterprise software company story, right? You know, sort of the classic uh, underpriced, overpromised, late, just in the ditch <laughs> projects. And to,
0: These are uh, telecom companies, correct? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in the
2: but you know, and that's—I I think that's a Just little checking. bit more broad, right? I don't mm-hmm. think that's that's necessarily specific to telco. I don't—I don't come from this industry. I'm—I'm I'm sort of a, you know, I, I'm I'm from high tech, and I've been an enterprise software my whole life, but never in telco. Um, but it's pretty pervasive in terms of bad projects, right? And so, um, I've created this metric that I use to measure how bad a company is, and I call that metric customer success and the way we measure it, it's a the percentage of revenue that says that they are successful with the company, and it's just a simple yes or no response, right? It's not it's not a fancy survey or anything like that. But mm-hmm. when I asked right. and surveyed the customers, you know, hey, are you successful with Redney? Right? What do you think about us? What do you like about us? Um, less than twenty percent of the revenue said that they were successful. So I knew I had a big mountain to climb, had a lot of work to do, and um, Need to roll up my sleeves. So since then, we've raised over 150 million dollars U.S. Um, we restructured the company. We've cut out about 60 million dollars of cost. And lately, we've been running cash flow break even, which is a big accomplishment for mm-hmm. this company. Um, in fact, the last few quarters have been a little bit profitable. I wouldn't like you know shout from the highest mountaintop mm-hmm. that like, hey, I'm done, but. You know, things things are a little bit more positive than they've been in in the recent years, and so my plan from here on out is really to manage the the company to great success. And you know, one of my guiding principles is that profitability is a choice, and we choose to to be a profitable company. So, so that's what I've uh, that's what I've been busy doing for the last few years. And then we sort of, you know, have been looking around to see what what's next for Optiv and where are we going. So, I, I guess that answers your question, Kelsey, in terms of some of the things yeah sounds like things
1: are certainly looking up to put it mildly (laughs) um and then looking at some of your your customers what would you say are the big barriers or fears that telcos have in moving from that on-premise mentality to utilizing the public cloud to host their bss software um how do you how do you coach them through that and and what are
2: um some of the common fears you hear yeah. So like I mentioned, I've been in enterprise software, you know, my whole life, my whole career. And so when I joined Red Optiva in 2017 um, and I started, you know, one of the best ways to learn about a company and about its products and then certainly what, cust- you know, how our customers use our products is just talking to customers, right? Just sitting down with them and saying, you know, what do you think about, you know, what could we do better? You know, where do you see this product yeah. going? And it, it's just you just ask them and you just listen and you take a lot of notes, which I did. And so one thing that I found that was really interesting that no one was even talking about even moving non-essential workloads to the public cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you look at the other industries, pretty much everywhere, um, public cloud has been around for a decade, if not more. And it's kind of a no brainer for Mm -hmm. the other industries. Um, And so, it was it was a little bit surprising that Telco wasn't really talking about it. So, you know, when I think about it, it felt like nineteen ninety nine when I was talking to my customers, <laughs> Right. just, just make they me were think of rest- Prince in that song. It does make you think of Prince, right? <laughs> so we were not parting like it was nineteen ninety nine. Uh, it was a little bit more brutal than that. Okay. But um, but I, my team and my customers were really struggling with what I would call 20th century problems, right? We were shipping hardware to faraway locations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. with um, customers in telco, you only have a few customers per country. So, like, getting a server right. to, like, Peru or Colombia or Africa or whatever, it was – I mean, we were struggling with, like, customs and all these, like, weird problems that I hadn't really seen before. Sherpas. <laughs> it's totally <different. laughs> nothing in nepal yet though i would love to have a nepalese uh customer right yeah. in a sherpa. but yeah. you know our cu- our people were still traveling to customer sites to like test on bare metal mm-hmm. we were fighting with security patches and so i sort of felt like i had been i had stepped back in time i was like i haven't thought about these problems since i was in my 20s right so while i welcome the refreshing sort of you know memories it was like okay there's a better ways to, to to skin this cat. So, you know, and then you look at other industries, I think, like even the U.S. government, the Pentagon uses AWS, right, and HSBC, banking uses GCP. And these are industries that are cautious and slow, right? And they had already made yeah. the move, but telco hadn't even, like, sort of dipped their toe in the water. So I thought maybe um, – we stumbled onto an opportunity, onto an idea here. And so that was really exciting. So I think the biggest barrier for these guys is just the mental shift, right? Mm -hmm. They, you know, I think the phases that you think about in moving to public cloud, people were on bare metal in the 90s and in the early aughts, I guess if that's what you call them. You know, virtualization and VMware really sort of had its big peak and big moment. And then since then, people have moved into you know, let's move things off site and then lately into public cloud. But my customers are still running things on premise, right? On mm-hmm. their premises. Um, and so they're really, you know, fond of their servers on the ground. They like to go visit them and see them with their eyes and give them a hug, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Hello, server. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> just like, <laughs> Good morning, server. <laughs> right? They name, they give them names and they love oh. them, right? They put, like
0: put little hats on they're them.
2: They like pets. <laughs> but um, you know, you look at the world's biggest technology firms like Amazon and Google, who have been running these mega data centers now for decades. They can do yeah. this process way better, right? They've automated. Robots are changing out hard drives and managing the machines, not people. And they're and so, naming the servers. Yeah, maybe <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> probably less interesting names would be my would be my guess. But the telcos like to throw up all these objections to moving to the cloud. You know, I can't because of data laws, or I can't because the data center isn't in my country. And I think they're just going to have to work through these problems Mm -hmm. because the advantages of moving to the public cloud, the cost savings, namely, I think is the biggest. It's too big to ignore. It's too big to not do it. So they're going to have to work through their fears, um, let go of their pets, And, um, and move, I think the guys who figure out how to move to public cloud are going to be the winners in the end. So I think it's a really big idea.
0: Just an observation before we get to the next question. I, I, I am also one of those people that was sort of um, blown away by how reluctant the telco industry was to take up the cloud. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I went to, um, I went to a Docker convention. It was actually in, uh, in Austin and, uh. Yeah, Dockercon and it uh the the keynote speaker was somebody from Liberty Mutual. Um no, no, I would have loved that. Dockercon um, at Dockercon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. <laughs> that would have been so funny. The registration people are just choking okay. and falling over. Um the the um uh the the it was Liberty Mutual was the keynote speaker. They're like a 100-year-old yeah. insurance company or more than that. And they were talking about how incredible their life was since they mm-hmm. started moving entire applications that had been written, you know, for mainframes onto the cloud. And I was just like, yeah, and telcos are just acting like this is still mm-hmm. too difficult to do. And it it, it, it just really I like, totally I was like, wow, that's that insane.
2: Right. I'm like. And like, is your argument that this is the one industry of all the industries, I mean, insurance, banking, Pentagon, they're all adopting yeah. the, the public cloud and they move at their own rates and then maybe they move like non-essential workloads first and then they start to test it with something a little bit more daring and things like that. But I'm like, your, is your point that this is the one industry that never leverages the public cloud or that it's eventually going to come? And I think when you start to frame it that way, I think the eventuality of this. Is what people start to realize, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, okay. Yeah. So if you if you agree it's going to happen eventually, do you think that's ten years out? Do you think that's five years out? Do you think that's two years out? And and people really start to sit back, and I'm like, and if it's only you know a couple years out, you got to start thinking about it now. I mean, this isn't an easy move, right? You're going to take applications that are writ- that were written, even our products were written twenty years ago, and the technology that was available and the you know, software and hardware, sort of designed it in a very particular way, a, a bare metal um, implementation. And so what we're doing is we've pledged a $100 million investment in our products to so take kind of the core that works, right, these algorithms that are, they're important, they're complicated, they're difficult, and they're proven, and we're taking them and saying, okay, let's now sort of look at this with a, you know, 21st century mindset of if you were to rebuild this, what are the things you would use? right? And there's all these new um, capabilities, software capabilities that are available in the public cloud that are not available on the ground, that you can't build yourself because you don't have enough money or Mm -hmm. time. And so when people start to think about this and they start to realize it, we're starting to work with customers who are testing it, their eyes are just amazed. They're like, even my own, even my own workers are shocked. They're like, we logged in and I had this problem with the database, and someone from another country in another time zone logged in while I was sleeping and did stuff and it's working. And that used to be a trip, right? Yeah. Someone had to fly there. And yeah. and so even my own people who are from, they feel like they're sort of stuck in the nineties too. I'm like, guys, your lives are going to be so much better, right? Put is, down the brick phone. I know, yeah. Exactly. Right. Stop. I mean, it's like, it's like rotary dialing. I'm like, stop the rotary dialing. I'm going to hand you an iPhone Connecting and you're going to be you. like, what? Yeah. So
1: earlier, you alluded to some of the cost benefits to public cloud for telcos. Uh, What are some of those, um, you know, such as reduction on hardware spending, paying according to usage?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we have this pretty radical point of view, which is, I believe you can save up to 80% of your total cost of ownership of our, you know, BSS system by moving to the public cloud. And it sounds insane. Wow. It sounds like it's a crazy number, but it's it's true. Um, Kelsey, like you mentioned, the biggest area is hardware. Mm-hmm. So today, telcos, you know, around the world, purchase enough hardware for this kind of system to handle peak capacity. But then they bump it up by like ten or twenty um, or thirty percent. And the reason they do that is because they're terrified that subscriber activity will peak. And they won't have enough capacity to service it. So they over-provision. They over-buy the hardware. And demand is not constant, right? Like it ebbs and flows within the day, right? The month, the year. You might have a holiday or you might have a, you know, you might have an event in the country like an earthquake where everyone's texting or, you know, whatever. If it it's in the, cold in
1: country. North Carolina. That's, that's what We're like, oh, snow might be coming. <laughs> Right, everyone texts and goes crazy, and it's so a low 40. You, see,
2: you see this demand. But because it takes so long to to provision this capacity, right? You got to go to procurement and tell them we want to spend, you know, fifty k on a you know bunch of machines. I got to order it. It's got to come. You got to unbox it, and set it up, right? Mm-hmm. All of that hardware capacity, which is now when I think about it in the in the frame work of the public cloud, compute power, it sits on the ground, running hot, waiting for the day when it's needed. And it's a massive waste of capital spend. So I think that's a really sort of easy way to think about it. It's kind of the first big area that we attack. I think the other big area is database costs, Mm -hmm. right? So the telco industry runs on Oracle, right? It's been the best for a really, really long time. Um, You know, I I think telco is one of the biggest industries for for Oracle, we basically pay for Larry Ellison's sailing team, <laughs> right? Mr. America's nice. Cup himself. But and you know, that's because Oracle's been regarded as the world's best enterprise database. And for the kinds of problems that we're solving in Telco, we need the best. But there's a new class of databases that are coming forward, coming around, cloud databases that are only available in the public cloud. These databases are faster, right 10 times faster than Oracle they're 10 times cheaper they can grow dynamically i don't have to like pre set up and pre buy um, i just get to use it and you know recently gartner came out with a study that this cloud class of databases cloud databases have overtaken as um, overtaken oracle as the world's best so that's another big area that i'm sure a lot huh. of procurement groups would love to hear about as oracle is super hard to do business with you know they, they've had a lot of leverage. They use that leverage very effectively, but but perhaps that's coming to to an end as people have more choices. So that's really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. I think the third area, which is a, a little bit of a tougher area to discuss, is um, sort of the people side of this, the people impact the HR costs, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have machines on the ground and equipment and software to manage you just, you know, you'll end up having just less people and maybe use those people in other areas, right? You deploy them to more strategic areas of IT um, instead of, you know, people walking around swapping out machines and, and managing the pets at the zoo. <laughs> um, and, you know, HR topics are always, you know, really sensitive to talk about because people don't really like to sort of admit to the fact that maybe there's shrinking organizations, but, I mean, just invariably with less people, there's less cost. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another... Right. Another big area of, you know, how can, you know, some of these IT teams that we work with are like a you know, thousand people, right? And so start to think about um, changing the way that those people's resumes will look in the future, which is I'm an expert in managing you know, three different kinds of public clouds, right? right? I know how to manage costs at AWS, which is famously difficult. Um, You know, I know the difference between the different databases and why you'd pick Aurora over Spanner, over Cosmos, right? What are the pros and cons? And so I think IT people will move from, I know how to set up machines and racks and all that stuff into letting the robots do that. And now I really understand how the, the public clouds work and how to maximize, you know, Which public cloud do we use when, right? And really understanding.
0: Excellent. Um, Let's uh, talk a bit more about the public cloud. Uh, We'll cover some cultural questions and and all that stuff. uh, When we come back, we're going to break. We'll be right back on the Light Reading Podcast. We're back at the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, uh, joined, as always, by Kelsey Zeiser. Oh, sorry, the uh, percipient Kelsey Zeiser. I do have my thesaurus still open. I don't know uh, that word. (laughs) uh, Is that a good
1: thing?
0: It is. Yeah. (laughs) It says uh, a person with a good understanding of things.
2: Oh. There you go. (laughs) Except Except for that that word. word. (laughs) Kelsey's like, what did you call me? <laughs> yeah. Come
0: again. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to get the note now that, that, that they're going to say like, okay, stop messing with the intro. Just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, we're, uh, we're, we're joined by uh, put, putting up with all this nonsense is, uh, is our, <laughs> our, our very kind guest, uh, uh, Optiva CEO, uh, Danielle uh, Royston. Uh, thanks so much for being with us.
2: Yep. This is super fun.
0: All right, cool, um, uh, Kelsey. Uh, I'll turn the questions back over to you while I while I reach down and get a new, another thesaurus from a, a, a different uh, <laughs> a different author.
1: I like this game. So Danielle, you touched on this a bit earlier, but are there any other cultural challenges that you would highlight that telcos need to make to be more successful with that move to the public cloud and in in general with their digital transformations?
2: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, for sure. So I think the biggest change they need to make is this penchant, this desire to customize the crap out of their enterprise software solutions, <laughs> right? You just got to stop, right? And so I think this is what they get, they get this really wrong. And so, you know, there's this balance between customizing and and so when you over-customize, right, when you take a solution, and, and a lot of the enterprise software vendors make their products customizable, right? Yeah, it can, you know, follow any process. We can make it look exactly the way you like. Mm-hmm. But it makes it really impossible to, you know, keep up with technology modernization. I can okay. say that word yeah so it just adds that much more complexity time and cost. and so by staying up with the set of product features available that your vendor is putting out, avoiding as much co- customization as possible, then you can upgrade and take advantage of new technology and new features faster. But instead what's going on today and I'm living I'm living in this because my company let our customers you know customize like crazy mm-hmm. right? People end up waiting to upgrade only when they really have to, right? The hardware is going, is end of life or out of support. And they just, you know, they spent their time just slapping on all these workarounds to get what they want. And it's just this terrible, expensive, slow way of managing enterprise software. And so it just sucks. And so – I think people need to be really judicious about what customizations that they do, mm-hmm. need to really try to work to keep them to a minimum, and they'd be able to transform so much more quickly right? They could integrate, you know, that whole process of integrating to other systems and providing that end-to-end customer experience, that nirvana that everyone talks about, right? Everyone talks about this, like, you can come in on any portal, you can come in on your phone, you can come in on the web, phone call, and I know who you are and I know why you're calling and I can anticipate, you know, you're calling because you're, you know, too much white space on your, you know, dropped calls on your, on your drive home. But they have all these different systems and they because they've customized and they can't move off of them they can't integrate them so you can't have it both ways you can't customize it be super modern and be cost effective and so something has to give and I think the thing they needed to give up on is their desire to customize and that's I think that's a mindset change it's cultural right they've been so used to being the big guys that have infinite money and it's like mm-hmm. well I have the money I can get whatever I want right and I'm like just because you can doesn't mean you should and so I think they need to be they need to sort of you know, stop doing that and it'll allow them to be a lot more nimble and right. get to the place that they're trying to get to. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of
1: sense. So you can have it your
2: way, but within reason, don't go crazy. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't think customizations go away like right. crazy, but I mean it's just like, you know, if you think making an analogy to the automotive organ, you know, industry, right? right. If you, if you could customize your, you know, Honda Accord, right, the time to get it. Is going to be really, really long because they have to shut down a whole entire assembly line just for, just for your special car. Mm -hmm. It's just easier to say, okay, what do you got? And I'll, I'll live within the range of options. And so that's a, that's a change, right? They've been customizing all all the way. I mean, some of our competitors have made their whole business, letting customers customize and it traps them. Mm -hmm. They can't, they can't move off. And so I'm like, just don't try not to do it. Like, or do it less. Let's just start with like a lot less. You don't and need the see- spoiler on the Honda. You just don't, <laughs> right? You're going to replace it in four years. Just live without the spoiler.
0: It's exactly. a, it also philosophically, it lines up perfectly with your message to go to the public cloud anyway, because the public cloud is all about um, that iterative process. Correct. You know,
2: repeatability, right? Expertise yeah. in... In Repeatability, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen this problem, you know, a bajillion times, and we know how to solve it. And it's really hard when you have an estate of enterprise application. You know, here's a good example we have a really large customer that's so large that the way that we scale our application is we install se- several stacks, and we have like, you know, five or six different stacks. And I'll tell you right now, those environments are not all the same. We try really hard to make them all the same, right? The exact same hardware and all the configurations. And all the monitoring is the same. And the patches are the same. And the software versions, not just ours, the third-party stuff, right? And that's really hard across five or six different locations across um, a large country. And so, right? you can simplify that, you know, by not customizing, adding all the customization on top of it. Right. Like, yeah. I'm like, why does the customization work in this site and not this other site? And it's because fundamentally those environment, there's just too much crap going on. Like simplify this. And as you move to the public cloud, you're pretty much forced to do that because the public yeah. cloud runs in a very standard way. Right. So.
0: And that's, uh, that's where it, it, it um, it's interesting because I think that's where the, the telco mindset kind of, kind of, falls apart. But one of the things you mentioned being able to do, um, I, I and I do want to ask quickly about analytics and, and sort of how, how being in the cloud and how, um, how that opens up possibilities in analytics. Yeah. Cause you talked yeah. about this scenario where people just, um, would connect via any device and then the, uh, the telco or whoever the uh, service provider would be would know, not just who they were, but where they were coming from, what mm-hmm. device, what they anticipate, what their needs were, and I was like, "Well, that sounds great." Um, I don't know of a telco that does that no.
2: now, <laughs> right? Because they're all different systems; they they have no way, right? Like, you know, if you've ever called into your provider on the cell phone and, like, let's mm-hmm. say the phone got dropped, and you come back later. You have to repeat the whole problem. Again. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Even in the same thing, they'll, they'll send you on and now I'm going to get on a soapbox, but they, they will send you <laughs> to you know, they'll solve your problem, but it's, it's, it's a, they transfer you, you repeat everything you just said. The other person says, oh great. Okay. Well I can solve this part and then I'll send you to this other guy and he'll s- solve the rest. You're like, great. And then you get over there, and they're like, "Okay, now what was your name again?" Tell me
2: what so, happened, and you're like, "Okay, for the seventeenth time, it's, right?" And, and, and you then start, you get sent back recording. to the queue. Press one, yeah. right? Then, yeah. Then you right. get. To, and God, to, God to, forbid, <laughs> you have a repeating problem. Where you have to keep calling in, and every single time, you're like, "I have rebooted. <laughs> I've rebooted four times, yeah. right?" So yeah. But I think you know. Back to your question, I think you were you were asking me about some of the different um, other benefits that they have um, by moving to the public cloud. And so, you know, I think a lo- for a long time telcos thought that they were the cloud. They were going to provide this. They were going to build their own data centers and sell compute power to their own customers, right? And I've talked to these guys, right? I've flown around the world and talked to different telcos, and they're like, I can do what Google's doing. I can build that, too, and I can offer it to my customers. Why would I buy it from AWS or from, from Amazon or for Google when that's what we sell? And a good example of this is Verizon in 2011 did a big acquisition of Terramark, right? They were starting to buy data centers. And they thought that they were going to compete with AWS and GCP. And, you know, like I said, they weren't the only ones, right? Every telco in every country thought that this was was a a new line of business that they were going to offer. But I think now they realize that it's not about the data center. It's about the software that runs the data centers that matter. Right. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we talked about this um, a little while ago. Right, using Google Cloud Spanner, which is the special database, cloud database that Google offers, to save 100 million dollars of Oracle. Right, or. You know, the analytics package that's only available in GCP, right, um, that you can't get. And so now you, you're being forced to move your data into the cloud so you can leverage the world's best analytics package or AI or mach- machine learning. And so I think it's about, it's turning, right? It's not just about they can manage the machines better, but that there's additional software capabilities that you can't get on the ground built by, built by the world's best technology providers, that in order to use them, you gotta be in the public cloud, right? I mean, for me as a software provider, yeah. I need to provide analytics. Does it make sense for me to build my own or to partner with a third party? Or should I just use Google's, which Gartner has just come out and said Google has the best analytics package? I'm like, I'll just do that. That seems, really <laughs> that that, seems like a good idea. <laughs> it's
0: such a modern mentality, too, because I, th- I think one of the things, I think over time, when people get in that trap of customization, they suddenly forget what they're good at. Yeah. They, they forget what they're actually in business for.
2: Exactly. And I'm like, it's. I think that's a great point there, which is you guys need to focus on your subscribers and what kind of experience they're having and the marketing plans you're putting out there and your competitors. Why are you insisting that you're going to integrate all this stuff and build some of it and integrations and customizations and right managing the machines, right? Like there's just a better way to do this. And some of it is already automated in robots and you can, you know, for years they've been complaining about Netflix going over the top on their infrastructure investment, Right tons of complaints about this, right? How can we're, we're not getting a piece of the pie? We just get the data, you know, revenue. We don't get a piece of those subscriptions. Mike, this is your opportunity to stand on the shoulders, right, and go over the top on AWS and in Google's investment. Google's invested $40 billion, They're, you know, in their, in their public cloud, right? They spend $3 billion a year on security alone. They're manufacturing their own chips and their own servers to make sure that when machines in their data centers receive requests, they're coming from within GCP and not some sort of intrusion or rogue employee. Right. I'm like, you can't compete with that. Yeah. Right. As a telco. Yeah. Even though you guys are like super big companies, right? Usually the largest companies in your in your own countries, but Google is, and Amazon are just at a whole new level. so. Um, so, we
1: started the conversation talking about how you came to Optiva at a really difficult time for the company. Uh, but what are some challenges you just face in general as being a female CEO in a male dominated industry? Something that we talk about at Light Reading is we have our Women in Comms uh, platform, and we recently had um, a great panel about how 5G might impact women in Comms. So, what's kind of your advice for? Uh, women in leadership roles in this industry?
2: Yeah. I mean, my whole life I've been in high tech. I mean, I graduated from Stanford with a computer science degree. And when I walked into my graduation ceremony, there was these two guys that were graduating with me and they were like, you're computer science. And I'm like, yes, I'm computer science. Like, <laughs> screw you guys. Right? I go All here. All the time. <laughs> right? I belong yes, <laughs> I go here. So what you see here? <laughs> That's her. yes, I go here. Um, yes, exactly. Like Legally Blonde, it's so funny. I was like, "What's that from?" It's from Legally Blonde. Anyway, so yeah, I've been dealing there's, with. This there's
1: problem. one in uh, Mean Girls too, where they say she doesn't even go here.
2: <laughs> and so, so I've been. It's, it's been my life. I'm, it's, you know, I'm kind of used to it. I mean, that's bad, but you know, you sort of just learn how to deal. And so, when I came to Telco, I figured it would be just as bad as high tech. But when I went to my very first Mobile World Congress in 2017, it was like all men. Yeah. And the first year, I think I met like one or two female executives, and I was like, okay, wow, well, high tech is probably like 20, 30, and growing percent mm-hmm. women telco was like five or 10. I mean, it was, it was,
0: yeah.
2: It I always was, joke. At least there's not a line for the bathroom. I know. Totally. Right. Never a line. It's awesome. It's the
0: opposite. Yeah.
2: So I think it's getting better, right? This, this, I think this year um, I've met more women in exec meetings, right. In dis- decision-making roles, right. Um, key roles. Um than, than I have in the, in the prior two years. Um, There are certain companies that I think are putting real effort around it, like Vodafone, right? They're, they're working to identify and develop and promote from within. They're not like just bringing people in, but they're really promoting people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I think there's folk, you know, there's focus and awareness, and I think that's really great. Um, The one thing that drives me nuts is I don't want us to swing the pendulum in the other way either. Right, I think we are in a time where we can diversify the thinking in conference rooms, and I think that's great. I think that brings um, you know different perspectives, and that's always I think that's always really good. Um, and I think when you're making room for women, um, you can also create space for men to say, "Hey, I want to go catch my kids' soccer game," right, or I have a family emergency and I need to duck out early. And um, I'm not sure that that's really Uh, The culture that we've had to date, right, men, I mean, there's a downside to kind of their professional lives where they have to sort of put in that nine to five grind. And, you know, ducking out early was really frowned upon. Um, I think as you, um, you know, allow women to get into more senior roles and, and get the higher pay and make decisions, I think there's room on the other side for men to have richer, fuller family lives that they haven't and haven't had to date. And so I really try to promote that within our company. Um, We have, we have fathers with young kids that sign off at four 30 because it's time to make dinner. Um, You know, I'm a mom myself. And so people understand, you know, I have a sick kid. And so I got to, I got to cruise and deal with that. And so I think it's great to open up the door and allow more women in. And I think equal pay is, is a great topic and I think it's time to also let men be dads, and I think both sides can win, right? With all the stuff, yeah. yeah. That's what I always I say. Worried- at
1: our, our women in comms breakfast, I'll get emails ahead of time from guys like, "Can we come?" And I say, "Yes," like we need you to be part of the conversation. So I am glad that you um, brought that up, and it does seem like more companies are considering parental leave and you know allowing yeah. for um, you know dads to take off some time as well when they have a, a new baby. Which I think is great.
2: Yeah, that's super. It's
0: great. also not just uh, roster diversity; it's diversity of thought mm-hmm. too. It's like that. That's that's kind of one of the bigger things I'm noticing with companies that that that, that where I think the telco industry is changing is finally people are being hired um, into companies and they're they're trying to find the best idea, not hire so-and-so's nephew or whatever. And it's like, that's, that's really how, how this industry is going to move forward is getting, getting it, you know, a diversity of thought. And then like you said, um, allowing for people to have fuller lives in addition to their work lives, I think gives, um, also, you know, cultivates, uh, more thinking, better ideas and gives people a break in between as yeah. well. And probably um, and more so loyalty the podcast, to their,
2: their company too. I'm gonna, I mean, there's studies go that, that, show, that show a... when women are added to the boardroom or women are added to the leadership team, the companies perform well. And I think it's less about yeah. women, but more about your point, Phil, just the diversity of thought mm-hmm. right? just different perspectives. And when you have a, you know, a, a richer discussion, I think you can come to better conclusions. Um, yep. And so I agree. I think you know, a richer, fuller life for women. You know, in terms of their career, and a richer, fuller life for men in terms of their families. And I think there's a balance there. I don't think it's one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think that's uh, what I'm excited about.
0: So. All right, um, I think this is a good place to leave it. Uh, Kelsey, you agree? Yeah.
1: Thanks so much,
2: Danielle. Awesome. Yes. Thanks so Thank much for being, for being on the uh, on it was the super podcast. Fun. Yes. Uh, and uh I appreciate the time and uh hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by Tian Fu in New York. Our show notes are all available at lightreading.com. As a reminder, you can get the Light Reading Podcast from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and dozens of other platforms and apps. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for getting your telecom news from LightReading.com.